You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. You're listening to episode 427 and I'm your co-host, Brittany Martin. And I'm your co-host, Nick Schroeder. Hey, Nick, how are you doing? You know, I'm doing pretty great. I am an influencer, if you didn't know. I recently broke off from Ruby tweets, which is quite bold for me because my handle is actually SchwadRB. And I've been tweeting about my eight days that I've been duolingoing Japanese for Ruby reasons. And Jason Sweat has tweeted me and said, you have inspired me. I am now duolingoing Japanese. So apparently I think that qualifies me as an influencer. I've influenced someone. 100 percent, because I have been waiting to record this episode with you because, Nick, you influenced me and I'm on my day four streak of Duolingo. So thank you for that. <laughs> yes. Welcome. Now, are you like me? Did you ever Duolingo like 10 years ago or eight years ago or something? Or is this your first time on the app? So this is three years ago. I went to Paris RB right ahead of the pandemic. So February 2020. So I was hardcore Duolingo for French. And so when I re-downloaded the app, it was like, welcome back. Let's refresh all your French. And I'm like, actually, I'm going to opt out of this and I'm going to click over to Japanese and get started. I'd love to give credit to how I got down this rabbit hole and I may have tweeted it. Kevin Newton, who's on my team at Shopify and I were pairing. And sometimes, by the way, I recommend this if you're on a distributed team, just throw in 30 minutes, leave a few minutes at the end, even if you don't have work to do, because it's sometimes those things you can learn a lot if you're both like Ruby geeks or coding geeks. And yeah, at one point I was talking with Kevin and he is showing me all these amazing bits of documentation that are only in Japanese for Ruby and these communities that are really cool in Japanese for Ruby. And I was like, oh, I don't know what to do. So we started talking about it. And he said, oh, I just do a Linka. And there's three different writing systems. <laughs> and there's two alphabets with 46 characters. They go every which way in different sounds. And then, of course, there's kanji, which there's like 50,000 of. But you only need 2,000 to be fluent. But I'm like, all right, I guess if my floor is just not actually speaking in Japan, but like reading this amazing content, because maybe you see the tweets too, like from Matt's or something or other Ruby. you're like, I want to know what they're saying. I sure do. And sometimes I will cut and copy them into Google Translate, but it's never quite right. And so I feel like I'm missing like a lot of the nuance. I mean, Nick, I think you know how much I am obsessed with Drag Race and I'm watching Drag Race France right now and it's subtitled. And I just keep hearing over and over again, like you're missing so many of the good jokes because of the subtitles. Uh, and so I agree, like it's so important to be able to read it fluently. But also, Nick, I think you were interested in being able to just read a lot of literature out there that has never been translated, right? Yeah, there's a lot of books and I was pairing with another person and they're just pulling these Japanese books off the shelf. And it's just about literally a book about one part of the Ruby Standard Library. We all know about my obsession with Ruby history and archaeology. So if it's like this is a cheat code to like double the available resources. And as I learned last year when I spoke at Kaigi, there's just so many cultural things that aren't available. So like there's a I can't remember the name. It's a famous Rubyist who has the all RB or all Ruby repository, which allows you to run or execute every version of Ruby to 0.49 on your machine, which is quite a big deal. But it has like 200 stars. It's very well known in the Japanese community, but isn't with us just because of that language barrier. So, yeah, I definitely want to knock it down. And thank you so much for doing Japanese. We'll definitely, you, myself, Jason, we've got Kevin and we know a few others out there. So we can 
kind of go down this road in tandem. I totally agree. We almost should create like a cohort the summer 2022 Duolingo Japanese cohort. We'll come up with a better name. But I am curious, Nick, like overall, what tends to be your learning style for learning anything new or brushing up on anything that you used to know? That's something that I was thinking about and wanted to talk about on the podcast today is constantly feeling like a beginner and that it's okay. Well, I'll just, I don't like saying it. I feel like saying how long you've been doing Ruby is kind of like saying your weight or your salary. It just feels weird to me. (laughs) It really does, but I'll just say it for my friends here. March, 2014, I laid my first line of Ruby. Now you'd think I'd be more confident because that now that number is a few years ago, but no, it's just like, if I see something I don't know, like part of the standard library, just, and someone say, well, why don't you just do this? Sometimes my initial reaction is like, oh no, I've been stupid all these years. I just never learned this thing. Like I've been imposter just for a long time. So I think the thing that I've been reminding myself and realizing is it's okay to feel like a beginner and to take things basic. So one example, that book I was talking about, Distributed Ruby, is in Japanese. Well, I didn't know anything about Distributed Ruby. It's DRB, if you look in the standard library. It's a super cool idea. It's a way that you can, through Ruby, have Ruby talk to other Ruby through a method just like on different servers. And it's really interesting. So as far as how I like to learn, I think it's really fun to do two styles. And I apply this to even like golf, anything else. I think there's rote learning, I think would be the word, like repetition, doing the thing, kind of like Duolingo style, like see the thing, do the thing, see the thing, translate the thing, vocab, just looking at it. But then I think there's also situational learning which would be like for a coder who is new, maybe just building an app at all and deploying it to Heroku and just taking all the learning you need to do to get that situation accomplished. So I try and find a use case for a new thing. So if I was going to do a new language, I'd probably try and build a thing with it as well as reading through the standard library. But I'd be interested for you as well with your experience and your different roles and with work and with life how you like to kind of approach learning and new things and even things that aren't new, revisiting things that we do know, but maybe have, don't use every day. Yeah. So I have a couple of thoughts on this. I'm very much a situational learner. I like Mm. to have a reason for doing something and see it to the end. And I like to have some skin in the game. So I want somebody asking me about it and making sure that I complete it. Yeah. However, Nick, like I'm trying to be a better rote learner. So the idea of doing Duolingo every day, I don't care about the gems or the points or the streaks. I just care about yeah. doing something consistently. And on that front, I feel that my Ruby skills have been a little rusty lately just because my head has been so down in engineering management and hiring that I joined Leet Code last weekend because... Since I was out there interviewing for developer jobs, so many great platforms have come forward to be able to do coding exercises. I got so much joy from just working on those problems and then reading other people's solutions because some people are just so incredibly clever with Ruby. But I feel that I have the experience now where like some of these one-liners, Nick, I mean, they're absolutely incredible. (laughs) But I have to laugh because like you would never put it into production. Like you just wouldn't. So what is LeetCode? I haven't heard of it. I know a few platforms, but is it like you sign in and you go through challenges with your code and try and do different things or? Exactly. So there's different levels of code that you can be doing. So there's different challenges and you can solve it in the programming languages that they have supported. They have a built-in test runner. So you can quickly see if like the 
solution, the quick challenge solution you're going to be able to solve. But then if you want to submit it, and this is where I think the real magic comes in. When you submit it, it runs against a test suite that you can't see. Uh, And so now it's checking, is it fast enough? And once you get it submitted and you get a correct answer, this is my favorite part, Nick. They tell you how much faster your code was to everybody else who's been accepted. And so now (laughs) that's the game for me. How can I get into the your code is 80 percent faster than everyone else who's submitted? That's fun. I think that's amazing, right? Because with Ruby, there's a lot of ways to do a thing. There's nearly infinite. So if you're optimizing for that, all of a sudden you might use a lesser used Ruby method to achieve something because all of a sudden, hey, this is the faster one. G sub versus TR versus, you know, and you start to see these as well. Like that's why I'd be interested in looking into, I think it's evil or I hate it, but code golf, because it definitely doesn't achieve anything useful, but it might force me to learn different parts of Ruby and different approaches in Ruby, even though the end game is to write the shortest and the fewest amount of characters possible. This episode is brought to you by Honey Badger. Whether you need to let your users know of upcoming downtime for system maintenance or something more serious like a multi-week security incident, public status pages are awesome for building transparency and trust with your users. Honey Badger now has a new status page feature, incident management. What's even better? Incident management is already included in all of Honey Badger's current plans for free. I also wanted to remind you, dear listeners, how great the Honey Badger blog is. The recent articles on full text search and Elasticsearch and comparing React component libraries are now in my bookmarks. Head on over to honeybadger.io to learn more. That's awesome that you get to run it and see against others and that it can gamify the speed like that. Does the test suite you can't see include like error handling, crazy huge numbers, edge cases. Is that the kind of test it throws at it? Exactly. Crazy huge numbers. So the other day I was doing a palindrome challenge where you're given an array of numbers. And so the example was five numbers. And it's like, you need to figure out whether or not this is a palindrome or not. And you're like, five numbers, no problem. I can write code for that. Well, then when you run the final test suite, the array has 5,000 numbers in it. So it's just like, is reverse going to be able to handle this within the time to be able to not time out the test runner? So it's fun to figure out those kinds of things and what you can do in place and not loop and not map repetitively. I feel like that that'd be a great way to like be mindful about what big O notation or whatever. Yes. So you can write the thing. You probably do it first just to solve it. Right. And then you probably sit there staring at it and you're like, All right. Now, what's the version of this that can take all the nightmarish amount of requests and all the different, maybe poor data that could be thrown in? So that's really awesome. I had a lot of despair over one problem because it took me a long time to figure out a solution. And once I got to a solution, I was really happy with it because I felt it was very readable. But then I ran it against that test runner, Nick. I'm a little bit aggressive. (laughs) I probably ran it against the test runner five times because he kept timing out. And I was like, no. This is going to be it. Like, it's going to pass. No, I had to refactor that code. And in some ways, I kind of wish I had something like that whenever I was committing to production, just to know that, like, I have now introduced code that is making this thing that much slower. And I think you can try to use telemetry to get there, but I just want that handy little test runner just built into my code. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I think these are really good tools, and I think I I should probably revisit them. Unfortunately, I had a bad experience where I hadn't used these kind of tools and Codility 
was a similar one. And I was applying for a job like five years ago. And they said, oh, before you interview, do this thing. And I just failed so spectacularly because I didn't know about these tests. So I was like, I was just thinking MVP. I was like, all right, I've solved the thing. I've solved the thing. And that I've maybe not approached these in a while. So it might be time to go back, especially if you're having a lot of joy. Elite, and who knows? Elite Code sounds like a pretty fun community as well. Totally. And I want to go back on a point that you were talking about earlier, Nick, and that was being comfortable with not knowing something or not being the best, because that is something I truly struggle with. And so I've mentioned on the podcast that I've recently picked up rowing and Nick, I'm not good at it. (laughs) (laughs) I am the kind of person who on my own, if I can't get something, I can muscle my way through it. And I can kind of force it and get to that point where I feel comfortable. I'm a slow learner. I tend to be someone who does learn slowly, but once I get it, I get it. And with rowing, you're in a boat with seven other people. And so if you don't have the identical rhythm or the identical technique, you have a coach that's in a boat that's following you and yelling at you through a megaphone, (laughs) telling you what to do. It's kind of a high pressure situation. And so it's been good for me, I think, mentally to not be good at this thing. Do I like that? Absolutely not. Do I want to be great at it? Of course. But the only way I'm going to get good at it is if I keep at it. That's awesome. Do you have good areas to row around where you live? Oh, yes. So I live in Pittsburgh and it is the city of three rivers. So we have rivers everywhere. Ironically enough, Nick, Duolingo is headquartered in Pittsburgh. (laughs) It's one of the few companies that I think are known globally at this point. But yes, I am very lucky in the sense that we have a ton of rivers to be able to row in. Oh, that's so cool. And I think now this is just like piggybacking idea off idea ad hoc here. But what you're saying about rowing, that made me think about something else that I think is quite interesting. I think we see it a lot in the programming world, maybe everywhere, but I program, so I just have this example. But the concept I've read about this of cross-domain knowledge and about picking up concepts and learning things in one area and then being able to apply it in vastly different areas. So one example I always give is I had a career before I was a coder, but surprisingly, I wasn't eight years stupider or whatever for missing out. <laughs> I actually had a lot that I brought from other vastly different. And I think I see this in my life and maybe you see this with the rowing, the way you think about things and break apart like projects and concepts and problems and dry and what you need to master to learn something or achieve something. I see a lot of that coming from like stuff that I've just done at work. And now I'm using that part of my brain in my own private life. I think I've talked recently about lock picking. I like lock picking and I realized I didn't have to become a master lock picker. I just had to figure out the simplest way to pick the simplest lock, but it's very similar to how I approach learning a new area of programming. I just need that little thing that I need to understand and then I can grow from there. And I wonder if you feel like with rowing or new activities, you see maybe unconsciously like a little bit of overlap with breaking things down. Absolutely. I would say the two things. Every single week, my coach assigns me to a different position on the boat. And in some ways, Nick, it is TDD because (laughs) (laughs) I'm just testing out a new thing. Like, how can I change the oar handling? Where can I change my hand placement? Can I drive more from my legs than my arms? Like all those kinds of things, being able to work on one small piece at a time to get an overall passing test suite. And then also on the engineering management front, I tend to have teammates who are great. By the way, I'm in a boat of Google engineers. I don't know how that happened. My entire team is Google engineers, which is so funny. 
But, you know, I'll have people who are trying to coach me and some of them coach well and some of them kind of coach aggressively and it's not to my learning style. And so knowing how to hold my temper and be able to work collaboratively to get to a good solution, which means the boat goes forward. So, yeah, absolutely. It all bleeds in from your other life experiences. Oh, yeah. And I think I was focusing on the code there, but actually working with humans is the bigger bit, isn't it? It's like, is it? and whether you're management or report or like whatever, even me learning about giving other people in my life feedback and it's really crap and I hate doing it. But then I've realized that feedback is recently, literally in the last year and a half of my life, that feedback is a gift. And now I have, my brain has this pattern where it's like, I have information that someone else doesn't have. It'd be really nice to give it to them, but not, but I'm not a mean person. So I don't like critique the food and be mean. But if I have information that could be of use to others, I'm much more likely to share it now. But that's just because of working with others at my job. Right. So, but now I'm doing it with other things in the world, but yeah. Anyway, sorry. It's a little diatribe, little side bit there, but I hope that others can at least feel, I remember being in my first few months of Ruby and listening to a podcast and being like, these people are so cool and these podcasters know everything. So like in case anyone ever thinks that we've been around a while, just know that we definitely feel like beginners all the time and that it, that's okay. It doesn't all the time. And speaking of being beginners, I think you wanted to talk about screencasting today, Nick. I love giving recommendations and maybe sometime on Twitter, I'll share like I did a jokey, like not even jokey, like what syllabus I'd give somebody for self-learning today based on what I know when I work with other coders. But I also have opinions about like passive learning and like about just being up to speed and what's the easiest way to do that. I obviously think podcasts like this are great. And I always talk about Ruby Weekly, but there is a new screencast out and it's just got its first episode. And I want to encourage everybody to go and like, subscribe and watch this. It's Joel Drapper, who is very experienced in the OSS world and works in Ruby infrastructure on my team. And Casper Tim Hansen, formerly of the Rails core team, are doing a live coding project, one episode at a time, one hour tupling pairing session at a time. And I just absolutely love this. I think, and for me as well, right, to just see how people who are very good at Rails and writing applications and have a lot of opinions and experience, I find it so useful to watch somebody else code. I find it so helpful. Like when I'm pairing, when I, if I were to pair with you, Brittany, I would probably see something about how you just, even how you organized your tabs or a shortcut you used or a way you run your tests. Maybe, oh, you're running it in VS Code instead of in a terminal there instead of another terminal. And it's just so much passive learning that happens. And if you do things different from me, that's okay, but maybe you'll do something that I really wish I was doing. So the first episode is out. They're doing a Hello World from the beginning Rails app. And they're, I believe it's going to be a scheduling, a group scheduling app. So quite an interesting one. So if, if people are wanting to refresh like I am and keep the traditional Rails skills sharp, I think this is a great hour of your time. And if you're getting into the game, also a very great hour of your time watching others do the thing. So there you go. Well, that's awesome. We will definitely link that up in the show notes. I will say that I'm very impressed that they're choosing group scheduling because this means that they're going to have to deal with time zones. And that's probably <laughs> an episode in itself, isn't it, Nick? <laughs> oh, yes. I think someone on a podcast once said we should all go by UTC and then just live by the sun. And so we'd all have the same time. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is brought to you by AppSignal. Most of you probably already know our newest sponsor, AppSignal, because they've been around since 2013. With AppSignal, you can monitor your Ruby apps from A to Z, 
error tracking, performance insights, server metrics, uptime, custom dashboards, you name it, they have it. AppSignal works smoothly out of the box. Installation takes only a few minutes and works for all popular Ruby frameworks. It automatically instruments and creates beautiful dashboards for Sidekick, ActiveJob, and other integrations. Visit appsignal.com slash ROR podcast for more information. As a listener of the Ruby on Rails podcast, you get a 10% discount and a box of sweet treats. That's appsignal.com slash ROR podcast. Thank you so much, AppSignal, for sponsoring the show. Speaking of video, I'm actually going to be guesting on the Rubber Duck Dev Show tonight. That is run by Chris and Creston. The way that the show works is that they stream, I believe, on YouTube and Twitch at the same time on oh, wow. Wednesdays at 8. And I ordered a green screen because apparently they're going to be having some fun with my background. <laughs> oh, nice. That's awesome. How long is the stream? Yeah, it's usually, I think, about like 45 minutes long. What I really like about it is that we're going to hop on 45 minutes early just to get to know each other before we start recording. But Nick, as someone who's very used to recording audio and not video, this is going to be different for me for sure. This is such a big jump. Just the last time we were catching up, you're talking about, you know, the concepts of Twitter spaces, which are still audio, but it's very limited, like uh, interface, right? Like it's just, but you're doing, now you're going all the way Twitch stream. Like you are fully. How cool am I? (laughs) I know. Like I'll be watching. Well, I think it'll probably be a bit late for past my bedtime in the UK. Yes. But I'll definitely catch that up. And hey, I mean, by this time this episode's out, it'll be in the show notes for our lovely listeners, right? It sure will. So I'm excited. I know that they're going to have a couple of guests after me, including our dear friend, Colin. So I highly encourage people to check it out. And Nick, I think you're just as passionate about community content as I am. Any sort of avenue where we're getting Rubyists involved and like chatting with each other is fantastic. So I feel very honored to be invited. Here's my question. So this is like a personal interest for me. So the listeners must assume that you and I come in with a couple of ideas. We probably spend at least one minute thinking about a few things we want to talk about before podcast, but obviously there's more that goes in. You put in a lot of work with guests and everything and getting this podcast to be the amazing podcast is. And thank you again, by the way, for all you do for the community in this podcast. But I'm interested with Rubber Duck Dev Twitch Stream. Will there be some bullet points of like, hey, let's cover this? Will it be just like a free form? How are they kind of organizing the content for that one? Yeah, that's a good question. So they reached out to me and asked me what topics I was interested in talking about. And so you know me and how overprepared I like to be, Nick. I gave (laughs) them like 10 topics and they're like, these two topics sound good. (laughs) I was like, I'm going to give you some technical topics that I can talk about, but I'm also going to come out of nowhere and give you some non-technical topics just in case like those are things that you want to talk about too. And I wouldn't be surprised if we end up going that route as well, just because, I mean, it's kind of like how you and I talk, Nick, you never know which pathway you're going to go. No, that's true, right? Like, so we definitely, like for me, when I'm on here, I organize a few thoughts, but I think we're also, hopefully it comes across that we, I think we are very comfortable talking to each other. And if we were just thrown at it, we definitely fill up the time, but it's fun to talk, to see people I love listening to in different formats as well. And you do see a bit of that. There's like crossovers all the time. This person on this podcast, this person on this show. So it's fun. And I've not checked out this Twitch stream before. So I'm excited to learn more about that format. And actually something that I wanted to just touch on quickly today is there's a lot of content out there I feel like I'd like to pick up on. So listener, if you are a faithful listener, there's been in the last quarter two crossover podcasts. 
there was the one at RailsConf in person. There's the one RailsConf at home. And there's a lot of different podcasts represented. Now, my main problem with the last two years, and I've touched on a few times, is I don't commute anymore. And that used to be my key podcast time. Like I used to have a very long commute. So I had many hours a week with my ears just ready for a podcast. And I just could go through all of them. I even went to the beginning of some and listened to all of them that ever came out, hundreds of them. But I struggle now because I do find it hard to just like sit in my house or maybe if I were running more or something. But I now am doing a few days a week in a remote space and I'm walking in. It's an hour in, hour back. So I have at least four and maybe up to eight hours a week to fill in. So I'm looking forward to exploring some of these. I just want to highlight them for the listeners. I didn't know Andy Kroll had a podcast. So that's Chats in the Cupboard. And I think also definitely the software social from Colleen Schnettler and Culver and Francis Framework Friends. And I've talked about some of the others, so I won't repeat them again, are definitely podcasts that I'm going to try and slot in to my schedule. First of all, I am so, so impressed that you are committed to walking two hours a day around work. Like, are you doing that weather regardless? I don't know what the weather is typically like in Ireland, to be fair. Okay, so it is the, the weather. Oh, gosh, I can't even remember Fahrenheit anymore. I'm totally ruined. It's mild, though, to put it like that. So I think our winters don't really get below 34, except like one night a year at the minute. And then our summers don't really get above like 68. Much. Oh my God, that like, sounds incredible. I think, I'm ready to pack my bags, Nick. <laughs> it's like in the 70s this week. So we're literally like everyone's considering quitting work because it's above 70 but and cloudy. But the signs actually just came out as I said that. So, but no, I'm in a co-working space and it's 12 minutes on the bus. But I also, there's like a pretty walk there. And if I find it is a great hack to like, I like to barbecue and a great way to offset some of those calories is if I just walk the two miles in and walk the two miles back on a pretty walk along the river and seeing people rowing, like you say. But that's also a great podcasting time. So it's kind of a two for one free exercise and free podcasting and to support some of these awesome people. In the time that I've known you, I'm so pleased to see all this new content and new stuff like coming out in the community. It just really inspires me, you know. I totally agree. And I think that's such a great way to be able to consume the content because like if you're outside and you have the sun shining on you and you're headed to a good day of work or you're headed home from a great day of work and that you're listening to podcasts, you just start to associate the podcast with good feelings. And there are some podcasts that I listen to that I just feel good as soon as I hear the voices because I associate that with like just walking and being out and free and like feeling good. When do you like to consume your podcast? Is there a key time like early mornings, after work, lunch? Yeah, let's dig into early mornings. <laughs> I'm currently running an experiment right now, Nick, where I'm getting up at 4 a.m. to go to CrossFit. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so I get up at 4. I like to sit down, have a coffee, get out the door by 4.30, and then I arrive at CrossFit at 5. And oh. so the ride to and from CrossFit tends to be my podcasting time. Also, when I'm cleaning or baking, I love to listen to podcasts. I'll keep one headphone in one ear. And then just as I'm moving around the house or even just folding laundry, I literally cannot fold laundry without listening to a podcast. So it's like filling in some of those times. But every once in a while, I'll get in the car and I'll put nothing on and just kind of have a think. But for the most part, it's usually a podcast. Oh my gosh. So you're literally, cause today I was, I just got out of a weekend. So I slept as late as I could for this first day. So I got up like minutes before work. So we nearly got up at the same time today. 
Oh, uh, I've been up for five hours at this point. I don't know if you have an Instagram or something, but there's people who literally, I think their whole feed is just pictures that I watch at 4 a.m. every morning. It's like, I'm already at it. That's a whole format. Tell you what, I'm going to tweet out a photo the next time I'm up at 4 a.m. So <laughs> I will at you, Nick. <laughs> yes, do it. And the listeners will know why I've done it. Before we wrap up, though, I do want to touch upon the fact that Rails did release a security update. So listeners, whatever you're doing after you are done listening to this podcast, please go upgrade your application because there's an issue with serialized columns and active record if you're using them with YAML, not JSON. So we'll link that up all in the show notes. Kudos to Aaron Patterson for getting this all fixed up, but it's severe enough that they even... Updated 5.2, which is not even supported anymore. So upgrade your app. Yep. It's always a good thing to end on, a good thing to remember. Upgrade all the things. All the things. Nick, it is always such a pleasure. Thank you so much. And I will see you on Twitter and Duolingo. Let's keep at it. Let's do it. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review. And thank you for listening.